Thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17, where we learn from Elijah to pray no matter how it looks. Elijah's the Tishbite. He's a man with a message from God in a very dark and difficult time in the history of Israel. King Ahab and his wife Jezebel have led and plunged the nation into rank, rebellious idolatry. The worst of the worst, King Ahab, up to this point. And it's just a dark time. And in dark times, even the little bit of light shines, let alone a man like Elijah. And we learned last time that he meets a widow in verse 8 of chapter 17 uh, in the city of Zarephath, which is the hometown of Jezebel. Now these events in Elijah's life are taking him and discipling him to the pinnacle of how God uses him, as we'll learn up on Mount Carmel, and then we'll sustain him as he comes down off that mountaintop experience and he runs away and hides in the caves. Just like Elijah, for you and me, everything in life is preparation for what's up ahead. Everything in life is something to learn from, to be discipled in, to grow in. Even if God calls you to a very unfamiliar place, Zarephath, to meet a Gentile widow who has a a faith in the God of Israel. And by the time we end the chapter today, that faith or that belief comes to fruition as she declares, notice in verse 24, I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. He comes to this poor widow who is struggling and suffering under the drought and asks for some water While she's headed to get the water, he then asks for the flour and the oil, and the conversation is very tender, it's very sweet, and she gives, and she obeys. Notice in verse 11, as she was going to get it, the water, he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I don't have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar, And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we might eat it and die. The drought has been very difficult in her, in her home, in her life. Widows would suffer the worst. They have the least and they would suffer the worst. And here's an example of someone suffering in Zarephath, the hometown of Jezebel. I mean, from the From the human logic, it wouldn't make much sense in our minds to say, uh, as we're serving God, I want you to go to this place where Jezebel came from. And it wouldn't make much sense to meet this widow who has nothing. And it wouldn't make much sense to ask for water during a drought. And it wouldn't make much sense to ask from a widow to give you everything that she has, a handful. Take out your hand. Take out your hand. Go ahead, everybody, take out your hand. Look at your own hand and think of how much flour she had in your hand and a little bit of oil in the other hand. That's all she had. And then the sticks that she was going to make a fire and cook up this. She had nothing. And yet what happened and what did we learn? She gave everything. 
because it's out of desperation that our hearts are moved toward giving. True sacrifice comes from desperation and not abundance. We tend to think that in times of abundance that that's the time to bless and to serve and to give, and you would be right. And we tend to think in times of desperation and times of need that that's not the time to give, and you'd be wrong. It's in times of desperation that our heart is then moved toward those that are also in a place of desperation. Giving releases the blessings of God in our life. Giving releases our hearts from covetousness and selfishness. Not in the way that the, the false teaching of the word faith movement, that you give and you move the hand of God. And if you give 10, God will give you. That's all nonsense. That's nonsense. Do you think that the widow... In her mind, giving a handful of flour thought that she would get the blessing back that she got? I don't think so. I don't think she's thinking, oh, if I give to this stranger who says he's from God, everything that I have, I'll have more than I'll ever need the rest of my life. No, her heart is moved. Her heart is moved. She's acting on what she knows. Elijah was telling this woman, as we learned in the entirety of our Bible study last time, he was instructing this woman, put God first and God will take care of you. Have faith in God and trust him. Whether you have a handful or a cupboard full, it's almost too basic to repeat. It's almost so simple that we shouldn't repeat it. It should be like breathing. Put God first in your life. And he'll take care of those things that trouble you and cause you to lose sleep. Or, put it this way, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, I memorized it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But from the New Living Translation, it says this. If, and he will give you all that you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And he will give you all that you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Your primary concern. And as we tie together, there's really no set plan of how Bible studies line up in our church uh, both because of where we are in a different book of the Bible on our weekend services and where we are on our Wednesday services and whether I have a trip and I'm out of town or we have a guest teacher coming on Wednesday. There's really no way. There's no way you could put these studies together. I mean, I guess you could, but you, it's better just to let the Lord do it. And what did we just learn this last weekend? What did we just learn but the faithfulness of God and the progression of faith and how important it is, how key it is, how how single-minded we must be to have the primary concern, those things related to God. The primary concern. Because there's so many other concerns, aren't there? We learned about the cares and concerns of life. We won't be able to eliminate them. Work, money, bills, family, kids, singleness, whatever it is, there's cares and concerns of life that can weigh a person down, that can weigh a gal down, can weigh even the strongest believers choking out the spiritual life from them. And what do we learn from Elijah thousands of years before the coming of Jesus? Well, this widow learned the lesson long before Jesus taught it to us, and that was simply this, put God first. 
trust him with your life. The order is always God first, matched with faith. And it's interesting as God, as he teaches people how to give, he always tells them in, from the Old Testament all the way to give to God what? The second fruits. No, that's actually not what he says at all. That's not even a word. The Bible says to give God your first fruits. The primary concern is God. Primary, first. Giving right off the top. Those that faithfully give God his share first seem to always find out that there's sufficient left afterward. Or those that give God first seem to live the life that they always have enough. They may not have more than enough, but they always have enough. God is always going to be found faithful. And this Gentile widow trusts God through the prophet, stepping out in faith. And we learned last time, remember in verse 15, that she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. She did according to the word of Elijah. I love that. It's a reminder that this becomes a prayer that when, when we gather together and I'm driving home or I'm going down for the night or I'm thinking maybe I forgot and I wake up in the morning and I think back through the message and I think back of what's next and I try to tie everything together. One of the thoughts in my mind and one of the simple prayers is I pray that our church God goes according to your word. I pray their decisions are according to your word. I pray my decisions are according to your word. I mean, I'm, I'm a part of this church too. I'm just like, Lord, I just pray we go according to the word. There'll be so much less counseling. There'll be so much less nervousness and anxiety. And we, and, and, and what, what was the word I wanted to use there? Worry. What did I say weird? How about this? There's be so much less weird worry going on in our church if we would just do according to his word. That we would act out so quickly in our lives and faithfully and sufficiently. And the result of her faith is that her needs were met miraculously as the flour and oil that she offered did not run out. Now, this is where we left off in verse 17. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And this is a spiritual truth, friends. It's true across the board. Tragedy strikes in the midst of God's faithfulness. As Peter would tell us and train us, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that is about to try you. You would think this is the pinnacle of this widow's life. She has more flour and more oil than she's ever seen, that she ever needs. God is completely faithful. She's rejoicing. They're probably talking about it. And I was like, this is amazing. God is so cool. Go check again. Check again. How, how, how much flour is left? More than you need. How much oil is left? And then right in the midst of God's faithfulness, tragedy strikes. With this abundance of oil and this abundance of flour and this abundance of water supplied by God in the good times, Tragedy visits the widow. Her son becomes sick, verse 17, and the sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I done to you? What have I done with you, O man of God? Have you come? Have you come to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And he said to her, give me your son. And so he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. And then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, 
Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? And he stretched himself out on the child. What does your Bible say? What are the next two words in your Bible? Three times. Mark those words. Three times. How many times does Elijah lay over him and stretch himself over in prayer? Three times. And he cries out to the Lord, Oh Lord my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him back, brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother and Elijah said, see your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now by now, by this I know that you're a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. Man, this is an amazing true story. In the midst of blessing there's tragedy which brings a natural response from the widow who's now mad at Elijah and blames him for this tragedy which then affects Elijah and then he begins to blame God and he's all caught up in the emotion which is a reminder to all of us that this is not an unusual response to grief or loss or difficulty. It's not unusual at all. It's a normal feeling in times of tragedy. Don't misunderstand me when I use this language. Normal doesn't mean good. It doesn't mean the right. It doesn't mean the appropriate. It just means normal. It's to be expected that a person feeling what they're feeling would respond in that way. Or often we'll share that when you're going through deep loss or difficulty, that the affirmation is very important to understand that what you're going through and how you're feeling and how you're responding is very normal for a person experiencing what you're experiencing. Normal doesn't mean acceptable. Normal doesn't mean sinless. It just means normal. And this is a normal response. It's God's fault. The very God that just supplied all the flour and oil now is the God who took her son. And then Elijah, he responds, whoa, why would you bring this tragedy? And he accuses God of killing her son. And these are all emotional responses. And we have emotional responses. And the question in verse 20 in Elijah, the man of God, used mightily of God, the question, oh Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow by killing her son? There, there, if you like to write in your Bibles, let me give you the question in one word. You ready? Why? It's a why question. Why? You know, not only have we lost the son, but now the widow's mad. It's an emotional home. It's, it's, it's in the height, in the, in the midst of the moment. And, of the, and, and Elijah's like, why? And isn't it true that there are so many things in our lives where we just cry out, why? So people will call the radio station. They'll send me an email. I just received an email today. Uh, that in, in the long email with all the words that were typed, I can summarize that whole email with a, with a young lady uh, that lost a child, I can summarize the whole email in one word. She was asking me why. I haven't answered it yet, but I can answer it now. I don't know. I don't know why. I don't have that answer. I'm sure that I can go through the scriptures and, and when you're ready, 
when you're ready, when it's time, when God is a, allows the appropriate time, I can give you the theological understanding of God for the matter. But even with the most well-crafted theological answer, that still doesn't satisfy the hurting soul. The only thing that satisfies the hurting soul is a true touch of the Lord in your life and the deep experience of the Father's love to you, daughter, and to you, son. To know that God hasn't forsaken you or abandoned you in your time of need, in your time of difficulty, no matter what it might be. In those times where our first response is, why, Lord? Why have you done this to me? Why have you allowed? Why did you let her leave me? Why would you let him do that? Why would you allow this situation? Why? I don't know. I have to say earlier on in, in my ministry and serving the Lord, I used to attempt to answer that question rather foolishly. And anyone that's, anyone that's in a ministry or a church with a young pastor has to put up with the, the growth and maturity of that young pastor, unfortunately. I'm not so young anymore. You still need to put up with my growth and maturity in many ways, but I'm not so young anymore. And through many mistakes and a few successes, I believe, or a few steps of obedience along the way, I've learned a lot more about the character and the nature of God. And I don't attempt to explain God to anyone anymore. I don't attempt to try to explain every situation and have an answer biblically for every situation. Truly, if, I, if you're listening to my voice right now and that seems to be kind of like the church you're a part of or the people you're around, they don't know either. They don't know either. You're around people that seem to always have the right answer. They don't know the ways of God. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we would do well to submit and wait for the revelation. And while we're waiting, to pray. One commentator put it this way. I think it was John Corson. And I quote, The Father says, You want me to take away the pain and to solve the problem and to get you out of the situation, but that's not what you need. You need me. And the very problem that you're seeking to get away from, the very situation you desire to get out of, is the very one that's causing you to talk to me and to spend time with me and to depend on me. You'll be stronger when you're weak because you'll have no other choice than to draw strength from me. And you'll do better when you're weak because you'll have to rely on me. And here's the widow and here's Elijah in a place of deep reliance. What does Elijah do? After he cries out to God with this question, he says, bring, this, bring your kid to me. And then in verse, and, and then he stretches himself out in verse 21, and three times. This, by the way, is the first mention in the Bible of, of life coming back to a lifeless body. It, it is the first mention of restoration of life. And as God is using Elijah, he's also teaching Elijah how to trust him, how to hold fast to him, how to lean into him, how to love him, how, how to wait on him. He's seeing God's power. The boy, a picture is an object lesson. And what's being burned into Elijah's mind is simply something like this. If God could raise a dead Gentile boy back to life in response to believing prayer, he could also revive the chosen people of Israel who would become spiritually dead. Now think about this. 
Think about this. If God can do the work of revival in a body and even in a nation, can he not do the work of revival in you and your family and the people of your life? Can he not save people that have been written off? Can he not provide the flour and the oil that you need? Can he not send someone to plead with you for three, three separate times just pleading with you? Like, of course he can. All these things that we're learning in the scriptures, these true stories, all these things are designed to build your faith and trust the God who sent his son Jesus, that you have more than Elijah had at the time. I have more. We have an abundance of deeper relationship. Why? Because the spirit of God lives in us. We're born again. The Bible says that we're involved in things that the prophets of old wanted to see. You get to see stuff that Elijah didn't even get to see. Now, of course, Elijah got some really cool things being up on the Mount Transfiguration. I mean, Elijah saw something that I'd want to see. I mean, he's seen a lot that I'd want to see. But man, you have seen things that he didn't see. And I want to leave with an emphasis on prayer because we can't get beyond. I I couldn't get beyond verse 21. He, he, He stretched himself out on the child Three times. Three times. God didn't answer Elijah the first time. Consider that. God did not answer Elijah the first time. How do we know that? How do we know? Because he asked a second time. (laughs) Why would he ask a second time if God answered the first? So God didn't answer the first time. And God didn't answer the second time. How do we know that? Because he asked a third time. Now, Elijah doesn't ask a fourth time. Elijah doesn't ask a fourth time. How do we know that? (laughs) Because the Bible says three times, and the boy's alive. Now, think about your own life. Some listening to me have given up after the first time. Because you've taken the answer no, and or, or whatever you've perceived, and you've just walked away. When God was wanting you to pray, a second time, and a third time. I want to give you some insights from how God sees your prayers. God does not live in time like you and I live in time. So we have to describe our prayer life one time, two times, three times, because we go to sleep, and we get caught up in work, and we're not praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But from God's perspective... From God's perspective, that's all one prayer. For us, we've given it in a couple different times because that's how we live. And you'll continue to live. You're not ever going to get out of this until you're delivered from this body. We're going to pray and we're going to be able to mark it. I prayed this time. I've been praying for four years. I've been praying for four and a half years. I've been praying for five years, ten years. And we kind of measure in time. And yet God is receiving those prayers. And God is putting those prayers into a bowl. He's holding them. And they're beautiful. And God doesn't... Now, now, it, now, bringing it back into our everyday life, God doesn't always answer the first time we call, though many times he's planning to answer. But at other times, he answers, but there's a delay in our receiving the answer. And you go, what does that mean? Let me give you an example. Would you turn over to Daniel chapter 10? And this is where we'll wind down. God is developing in us an intimacy of relationship a merciful intimacy of relationship through our prayer life. And the the lack in 
intimacy and closeness and understanding of God is not just because of an ignorance of the scriptures, but it's also, and it very much well could be, because of your lack of intimacy and conversation with God. Can you imagine your closest, your closest relationships? What would happen if you just stopped talking? You just stopped talking. You stopped expressing your feelings. You stopped listening and hearing. They, they stopped talking to you. You stopped talking. What's going to happen to that relationship? You're, gonna, you're just going to, even if, you know, even if some of your mar- in your marriages, you've got to argue sometimes. Uh, it doesn't have to get crazy and throw things and nothing like that, but you've got to express yourself. And then you've got to patiently die to yourself after you've expressed yourself and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? for being so selfish or whatever it might be. But to just shut down. Some of you, your, te- your tool of punishing your friend or punishing your partner is shutting down. And you're just killing your relationship. You're, the, you're shutting down by not communicating and you're killing your relationship. You think, oh, I'll hurt them. <laughs> yeah, and you'll hurt yourself too. You've got to talk, communicate, share your heart. Even, even if, even if they don't respond, you got to keep talking. And if they won't talk with you, then you got to talk to God about them. You got to keep talking, expressing yourself. I know sometimes in relationships, especially in marriages, the other person, one person is silent, you know, doesn't want, and the other one kind of punishes, well, I'm not going to listen to you, give you any time. It's all foolishness. You look back over a, you look back over a long marriage and you just think how much time we wasted. We could have just solved it like that. Marriage, you know, we, we have made a mistake. This is for a different mes- message at a different time, but just for the sake of the Lord speaking a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge to some. We've been taught that marriage, the end goal of marriage is happiness. You could just write that. Go ahead and write that down. I'm giving it to you right now. The end, mar- end of marriage is happiness. I'm, I'm telling you that right now if you want to write it down in your notes. The end goal of marriage is happiness. Pastor Ed said so. I did. Now, take a pen and then put a line through that. Because the end of marriage is not happiness. The end of marriage is holiness. And the only way you'll get to holiness is learning how to die to yourself. That, you want to know why you married so-and-so? So you might learn how to die to yourself. Boy, that wasn't in my vows, man. That is not what I thought marriage is. Yeah. And you know what singleness is for you singles? You're wondering, man, he's talking about marriage again. What about, okay, I won't leave you out. Singleness, purpose is happiness. Go ahead and write that down. I'm single to be happy. Write it down. Pastor Ed said so. It's on the radio. I heard him. Take a pen and exit out. End goal of singleness is holiness. And the way that you get there is dying to yourself. God has you single right now, so you can learn how to die to yourself. <laughs> like, Ed, I don't like you right now. <laughs> you don't really know me, or you'd like me even less. <laughs> Daniel chapter 10. Then suddenly a hand touched me. Dan- Daniel 10.10. 10. Then suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. And he said to me, Oh, Daniel, man, greatly beloved. Do you know what those words are? 
Those words are words of relationship. Daniel, I love you. You've been crying out to me at this point for 21 days and you felt like you haven't gotten an answer and you, you have been increasing. You prayed one time, two times, three times, 21 days. Who knows how long that was? Daniel, I love you. Understand the words that I'm speaking to you and stand up for I've been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling as this angel of the Lord comes and expresses the love of God to Daniel, tells him to get up, and he says, don't fear, verse 12, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, and behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left alone there from the kings of Persia. Now, this is a fascinating story. We don't have time to unpack it or dig it except to glean the overall lessons here when it comes to prayer. As soon as you start praying, God hears you. As soon as you start praying, God hears you. No matter when you experience the, the, no matter when you experience the answer, God hears you the moment that you start praying. Daniel's been praying for three weeks, and that's a long time to seek the Lord. Praying for three years, praying for what seems like three lifetimes. And this angel finally shows up and says, I was sent on day one, but there was resistance in me bringing you the answer. I had to get some help. And from God's perspective, and here's the essence. From God's perspective, the moment Daniel began to pray, the answer was immediate as far as God was concerned. The answer was immediate. God already knew what he was going to do in Daniel's life. God already knew what he was going to do in this widow's son's life. God already knew what he was going to do in Lazarus' life. And I like that phrase. I forgot where it was. I need to look it up. It's in John, one of our studies. But in one of the studies of all the hundred plus studies that we've done in the Gospel of John, a phrase just won't, I can't get rid of it. It's become, it's become burned in my mind and it's come up over and over again. And it's simply this. The Lord already knew what he was going to do. I love that. The Lord already knew what he was going to do. And I've got this little reminder here. Let me find it for you. I, I have this little reminder that pops up every day at about 8 o'clock in the morning for me. Or 9, I don't know. I see it eventually. But I got this little reminder. You know, using these little tools, uh, an uh, iPhone, if you use an iPhone, and no other phone works, only the iPhone works but these little reminders it says this look at this this is what i this is what i want the lord to tell me every morning i want to remember this this is exactly what i get reminded of 805 every day the father loves me and he'll show me what he's doing and he'll lead me guide me and help me because what did jesus do he always did what the father was doing and the father loves me he already knows what he's going to do and as i ask he's going to tell me what he's doing and let me be a part of it. That's what it reminds me of. This isn't my day. It isn't my ministry. It isn't my church. It isn't my life. The Father loves you. And he already knows what he's going to do. And he's going to lead you and guide you and help you if you'll just get along with what he's doing. He wants to show you what he's doing. He wants you to be in on what he's doing. He, he wants you to submit. He wants me to submit my agenda, my thoughts, the Father loves you. He already knows what he's going to do. 
And he wants to lead you and guide you. When Daniel prays, as far as God's concerned, the prayer was answered. And so don't stop praying no matter what. Don't stop praying no matter what. If God gives you a no answer and it's definitive and clear, then you can move on to pray for the next thing. But don't stop praying. A closed door is just as much as an open door from the Lord. Don't stop praying. Don't stop seeking. Don't stop knocking. That's what Jesus taught us. Prayer is not a last resort. It's not when all hope is lost. Prayer is our very life. Why God waits sometimes, I'm not entirely sure. We won't know until it's revealed to us. For sure, it's a time of testing of our faith and building it. I don't like my faith tested just as much as you don't like your faith tested. I want an answer now. I don't appreciate it when God waits, especially when I'm in trouble or when I'm hurting or when I I feel like there's a solution that needs to be worked out that God certainly can see it. I don't like it as each month goes by or each year goes by. And God hasn't answered our prayers. I don't understand the ways of God, but God said we wouldn't. Jesus, he prayed three times for his cup to be removed. And what happened? He drank it. It was Paul that prayed three times for the thorn to be removed. And what happened? He endured it. And while they're waiting and while you're waiting and praying, you're submitting to the will of the Father. Pastor Chuck Smith once taught us, and I quote, God does not always answer the first time we pray. He does not always answer the third time we pray. As we've prayed, many times God, instead of doing what we asked, will give us really the strength, the endurance, the capacity, and the faith to live with a situation, seeing the, God, the hand of God in it and the work of God within it. Now, if you didn't write that all down, you can email me and I'll send it to you or I'll post it up on social media today and, or tomorrow or sometime in the future. The Lord knows. For this widow, she got her boy back. And the end result, I know that you're a man of God and he keeps his word. May that be your testimony as well. You could just say in your own, let's just all say it together. I know that you are God. Let's say that together. I know that you are God and you keep your word. I know that you are God and? And Father, that's our prayer as a church family. We know that you're God and that you keep your word. We pray one, two, three thousand measuring in days, then weeks, then months, then years. But there has not failed one good word that you've spoken, and there never will be. You have fulfilled your word with all the saints. And even if we haven't seen it completely fulfilled in our lives yet, it makes no difference. You are God, and we are not. And we yield our trust to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.